0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. William Wilberforce was an evangelical British politician, and from the age of 21 to 76, he never lost one parliamentary election. And for those 46 years in continual political life, he primarily fought for one cause— It was both the abolition of the slave trade in the British Empire and the abolition of slavery altogether in the British Empire. Yet it wasn't until three days before his death in 1833 that he saw the latter actually come. 46 years of fighting for this cause and you know why he believed it took so long? He believed it took so long because nominal Christians in the British Empire had abandoned Christian doctrine for ethical and political systems and institutions. And he writes about these Christian institutions. He calls them the peculiar doctrines, and he's referring to the central doctrines of Christianity, the doctrine of human depravity, that everyone is sinful and fallen and therefore under divine judgment. But because of the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, justification by faith where my evil and sin is imputed unto Christ and his righteousness and sinless perfection is imputed into me, that now I am declared righteous by God. And now I'm sealed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit and enabled to live a life devoted to good deeds and to righteousness. And that was his point. He felt that any time anyone tried to bypass Christ's imputation of righteousness to fulfill an ethical or political idea or agenda, it would actually be the undoing of morality. And it would actually be the undoing of a nation. And Wilberforce wrote that he believed that it was affection for God. Affection for God was the key that led to lasting political reformation. In other words, Christ imputed righteousness, enabled Christ's people to live out righteousness, leading to lasting reformation. And it took him nearly 50 years for that to happen. Now, I hope you are picking up what I'm laying down. Wilberforce had what I call the piercing perspective of righteousness, this deeper view of what it means to not only be imputed with Christ's righteousness, but to live it out in the world around you, no matter what you do for a living, what influence you have, what spheres of influence you exist in. And this is where he believes that lasting change is accomplished by one's affections first and primarily placed upon God. He had the piercing perspective of righteousness and that's what what we're going to see today is the piercing perspective of the righteous lived out and so if you would please turn with me to proverbs chapter 11 and uh tom covered verse 18 last week but he gave me permission to cover it again this week because verse 19 is kind of linked to it And what we're going to see in verse 18 is that there are two different actions that lead to two different consequences. Verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages. In other words, if you think you can gain in this life by cheating and by deceit, you yourself are actually the one who is deceived. And that which you do accumulate, that which you do gain in life by falsity, is actually transitory and it is actually unsatisfying. And so you're going to keep groping for it. And in the end, it will not last. Verse 18b, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. And so the image is of a farmer scattering seed of righteousness. It is the verb zara. It means to sow. And so the question is: How is it then that we, as the people of God, imputed with Christ's righteousness? How do we scatter righteousness? And it's by living a righteous lifestyle. And so, a benevolent person is viewed here like a farmer who disperses and dispenses. God's righteousness by how he lives and what he does. And it's living under the rule of God and manifesting that rule of God wherever you go. That is how you scatter seeds of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever heard of a coffee shop called Zera. It's from the verb Zerah. And that was a seed planted by a benevolent person here in Denton Bible Church. And now it has grown into its own thing, and God has used it to do marvelous work in the community. That is how sowing seeds of righteousness occurs. And just as a farmer depends on God to mysteriously cause the increase, there is a temporal distance between sowing and reaping. That there is a time gap sometimes from living righteousness and the reward that follows, but we're told in verse 18, that's why the, war, the word reward is modified by true. He who sows righteousness gets a true reward, as opposed to the wicked earns a deceptive reward or wage. One will last, one will not last. And so we see here that the beginning of this passage and this, these passages of scriptures, that righteousness Righteous living requires a certain perspective. You as a church, you as the body of Christ who has been imputed with the righteousness of Christ have to have a piercing perspective of righteousness that there is more going on than what meets the eye. That when you live a righteous life now enabled by the spirit of God who dwells in you, you may not see the reward until later. But that it's worth it. You may see it now in this life. You may see it today. You may see it tomorrow. But in the end, it is a lasting reward. It is a true reward. It is not a deceptive reward. That is part of having a perspective of righteousness. And in verse 19, we get a better glimpse of what this true reward is. Verse 19 Again, we're going to see two opposite actions that lead to two opposite conclusions. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And so righteousness does not refer distinctly to that imputation of Christ, that salvific imputation upon conversion. One receives from trusting in Christ, but it's righteousness of Christ lived out under the kingship of God, under the fear of the Lord. And that reward is life now and life that goes on to eternity. Life in the book of Proverbs refers to fellowship with God. Life in Proverbs means a proper relationship with God. It is abundant life, living, in fellowship with God. And don't miss this. It's envisioned as starting now and going on to eternity. That's life. That's living. You are not living until you are living in fellowship with God. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, or to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, he said, he is, speaking of the Father, The God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. In other words, Abraham is alive with God today. Isaac is alive with God today. Jacob is alive with God today. David, Paul, Mary, all alive with God. Augustine, Luther, and pretty soon one day, Tom Nelson, all alive with God today. Today, in Hebrew, let me just tell you what it, how it sounds in Hebrew. It's kin sadaka, indeed or truly, yes, righteousness, l'chaim, to life. Have you ever heard a Jewish toast? They raise a glass and they say l'chaim or is it, l'chaim. So everybody everybody in here, raise your, raise your glass this morning. Raise your glass and let's make a toast to life. L'chaim. L'chaim. Whatever. I tried. L- yeah, that's close enough. And we see also in verse two, what kind of life it is that pleases God. And whenever I say there is a type of life that pleases God, all of your life, Eyeballs should just brighten with, yes, how is it that I please God? I want to live in fellowship with God. I want to please Him with how I live. But we also see what kind of life God detests, a type of lifestyle that God calls an abomination. And at the same time, we should also take that very seriously. Verse 20 the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. It's some of the strongest language in the Bible. Now, the Hebrew, uh, there is no word for mind in Hebrew. The word heart is the word lavav, and the heart is the center of the person's emotional, intellectual, religious, and moral character and activity. And it is to be guarded above all else. And oftentimes in the Proverbs, we are told that it is the eyes and the ears that are actually the gateway to the heart and actually shape the heart. And so a perverse heart, the word perverse means crooked or twisted. A perverse heart is a heart set against God. It's a heart set against his people. It's a heart set against his ways, against his truth. Yet we do know that God is truly the ultimate evaluator of the heart because he is the only one who can dish out life. He is the only one who can dish out death, as we saw in verse 19. But notice in verse 20b, the blameless, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. The heart will manifest itself in how you live. The heart that conforms itself to the heart of God. The life that conforms itself to God's way of living is his delight. He smiles upon it. And so what we do as the people of God is we set our eyes before God's word. We set our ears before God's word. We set ourselves before divine wisdom and yield ourselves to it. And God will back it with his power to transform our lives into the image of Christ. And now we're walking with God. And now we're living with God. And now we're in fellowship with God. We are not living until we're living in fellowship with God. And there is no greater life than living in fellowship with God. It is how you were designed to be. It is how you were created to live. And nothing is more exciting, nothing is more fulfilling than walking in step with the Lord according to his truth. And so we yield ourselves to it and we say amen to that. Verse 21 begins with assuredly. In Hebrew, it's yad yelad, hand to hand. It's like the image of somebody striking hands in a deal. And it's God's way of saying, you have my word on this. You have my word, church, on what comes next. The reason why God puts this emphatic figure of speech at the front of this verse is because the visible outcome we observe in life often seem to contradict this verse in verse 21. Assuredly, or you have my word, my people, the evil man will not go unpunished. The implication being, evil often looks like it gets away with evil. Now, based off of empirical observation, does that seem to be true? that evil gets away with evil. Yes, from the elite and super powerful to the political and untouchable to the deeds done in darkness, oftentimes evil seems to get away with evil. But this verse is not meant to be taken merely based off observation, but in believing in the character and nature of the justice of God. It takes a certain perspective to believe that. That we have to see beyond the here and the now. And this is God's way of affirming us that this is not true. That evil does not get away with evil despite what we see. And it's meant to be an encouragement for you and I and to motivate us to live a particular lifestyle that even though evil seems to gain and get away and earn wages that will not last, it is worth living a righteous life now despite what you see. And so we are not to be discouraged, church. And at times we are going to have to stand up and be like Moses who calls out Pharaoh and says, let my people go. This evil will not go unpunished. At times, we're going to have to be like John the Baptist who steps up to a king and says, Your evil will not go unpunished. We cannot be like parrots that go around squawking by what we hear out there, but we've got to be like prophets and say, This evil will not go unpunished. Do you believe that? Some of you do. And that is why we do not panic. And the evil that does affect us, the evil that does seem to bring about harm upon our lives, we will ultimately be delivered from. Verse 21b, the descendants or the sons of the righteous will be delivered. These descendants, this is a class of people who fear the Lord and who are in right relationship with God. Who, seem, who seek to live out and set their affections on God, who seek to live a righteous life by the imputation and divine enablement God provides. These are the sons of the righteous, the descendants of the righteous, who will be delivered. Now, there are two verbs here. The first verb, speaking of the evil, that will not go unpunished, literally means, it's one compound verb in Hebrew, and it means the evil will not be set free. And then speaking of the sons of the righteous, another one compound word, he will be set free. In other words, the evil that is intended upon me, I will actually be set free from. And the evil you intend to me will come back upon you, either in this life or the next. And that takes a unique perspective to believe. We must have the piercing perspective of righteousness. That evil will not go unpunished and that the righteous will be delivered. Paul refers to deliverance in many different ways. How God delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. How God delivered him through his brothers and sisters at church and how God will even deliver him even by death. Because our life that began here at conversion is envisioned as going on forever. This is the kind of perspective we, as the people of God, need to have. This is the piercing perspective of the righteous. Nobody else thinks this way. We are the only people who can have this mindset. We are the only people with Christ's righteousness indwelling in us. The reason why the Spirit of God lives inside of us is so that we may produce Christ in how we live. And so the righteous, they trust in the character and nature of the justice of God, and we live like we believe it. Because there is more going on. There is more true than what we see. God is at work through his people. This is the piercing perspective of the righteous. And in verse 22, we again see that there is more than meets the eye. Verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now in ancient Israel, Women wore nose rings, and uh, so when your daughter goes home and asks if you, she can get a nose ring, you can tell her Tom said so, as long as you can, she can still be stoned for her rebellion. <laughs> Another thing to mention about this verse is that it is not denigrating outward beauty. Even though David was not selected by how he looked, he was selected according to his heart. He was a man after God's own heart, which means that he never turned to idols like all, like many other Kings did. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. That is what it means to be a leader whose affections are upon God. And that's what it means to be a leader who influences a nation. And so beauty is not being denigrated. And we're, we're told that David, it was as, uh, that he was a handsome man and it's seen as favor of God. And we're told of Abigail that she was actually the opposite of this verse where she was discerning and she was beautiful at the same time. Now, let me tell you what this verse means. In verse, we see that you have a small ring. A ring is small. So and take a picture of a ring, it is small. And then you've got a pig. A pig is big, it is large. And then you have it's, this ring, it's made of gold, it's expensive. In Israel, a pig is of no value, it's worthless. In fact, you would often probably have to pay a Gentile to take it off your property. It's maybe even negative value. And that a gold ring And the nose of a woman in ancient Israel is attractive. It adorns her with beauty. Whereas a pig rolls around in mud and feces and eats swill and is ugly. And so I made a boorish joke in uh, first service that I will not make in second service. So let me just tell you what this means. A man who looks at a large pig and sees only a small gold ring... It's like a man so enamored by a woman's beauty, he fails to see her lack of discretion, her lack of godliness, her lack of wisdom, her lack of love for the Lord. And so what's going to happen to that dainty, expensive, beautiful ring as it is attached to the snout of that pig? It's gonna fade. It's gonna be devalued. And so verse 22, the reason why we, we, I go down to verse 22 because it kind of, it's a transitional verse for what comes next. But if you look, jump back up to verse 16, you see a gracious woman attains honor. And then in the last chapter in the book of Proverbs, in the second to last verse, where lady wisdom is personified as a real person, the narrator tells us that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. The word vain is fading but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so the fear of the Lord is an inner beauty that outweighs outer beauty any day. And so it requires a certain perspective to see this. This is, what it, this is the piercing perspective of the righteous, that there is more going on than meets the eye. So in verse 18, we see that we are called to sow righteousness and that it leads to a true reward. Even though we may not see it in this life and we may see it in this life, it is a true reward because it is lasting. It will not perish. Therefore, it's worth it. And verse 19, the reward is life. It's fellowship with God. It's living out your destiny, how God designed and created you to be in fellowship with him now and forever. And in verse 20, a righteous lifestyle, it pleases God. It makes him smile. We should all seek to delight the heart of God by simply yielding our lives to him, living in conformity to his word, placing ourselves before divine wisdom and coming to him over and over and over again, relying on his grace and his mercy and putting our trust that he is faithful even when we are not. That is how good God is. And in verse 21, we are confident that living righteously wins the day, even when it doesn't look like it wins. Righteousness, God has rigged it to win the day. No matter how it works out, there is no evil that will not go unpunished. There is no righteousness that will not go rewarded, unrewarded. So righteousness wins the day. And then in verse 22, righteousness is more than meets the eye. It is beautiful. And this is the piercing perspective of the righteous. Is that you? Is that how you view life? Does your affection for God dictate how you relate to the world around you? Are you so lit on fire by God that it becomes contagious? Well, we live in a day not too dissimilar from William Wilberforce. Thanks be to God, we are where we're at, but we now live in an age not of free states and slave states, but we now live in an age of life states and death states. That is where we're at now. And if Wilberforce is right, it's going to be your affection for God lived out in righteousness that will bring lasting change. And so I pray to God that you would get into positions of influence in life. I pray to God that you would get into politics, that you would put, get into the courtroom, that you would study law, that you would practice it, that you would be teachers, that you would be parents who seek to live out the imputed righteousness of God because it is affections set on God that bring lasting reformation, not the other way around. And so may we be people so turned toward God that we cause the change around us simply by trusting and living out the righteousness of God. That is the piercing perspective of righteousness. Set your affections on God. No matter what you do, no matter what arena of influence you're in, no matter where you're at in life, set your affections on God and those peculiar doctrines, the truth of God's word. Christ's imputed righteousness must precede everything else. And whenever you live out the righteousness of God in your sphere of influence, then you're gonna see lasting change. Because let me tell you something. Politicians change their mind. Courts change their mind. Leaders change their mind. But the word of the Lord, word of God never changes. It is always the same. And so I believe the same thing Christians believed 100 years ago. You believe the same thing Christians believed 200 years ago. You believe the same truth, the unchanging truth of God's word that Christians believed over a millennia ago. It doesn't change. And so to create lasting change, we must set our heart on that which does not change. And only then will we see lasting reformation. And so I praise God for where we're at, but there's still so much more work to do. And it's gonna come by setting your affection on God. And it takes a certain perspective to realize that. It is the piercing perspective of righteousness that sees that there is more going on than meets the eye. There's more truth than what we see. And even when it looks like evil is winning, It is worth trusting God and living righteously no matter what. Because in the end, it wins. Amen? (laughs) Well, pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and I thank you that we have truth that is unchanging. I thank you that even though we were under your judgment, that Christ's righteousness has been imputed onto us, into us, and now you view us as if we lived the very life Christ lived. And now we are enabled by your spirit to live a life of righteousness because we have been justified and declared righteous. And I pray that we would see things like Wilberforce, who left an impact greater than any of us could imagine. I pray that we would set our affections on you, Lord, and that we would not seek to bypass Christ's imputed righteousness to fulfill any sort of agenda. But we would truly believe that we cannot go wrong in living out vocally in word and in deed, the righteousness of Christ. And so we thank you, we praise you. I pray that you would give us hearts that are loyal to you. I pray that we'd be quick to confess our sins and to trust that you were there to pick us up and to elevate us and to restore that wonderful fellowship we have with you through your son that you will never forsake us, that you'll never leave us. We were never good enough to earn you. We can never be bad enough for you to leave us. You have, we are born of God. We cannot unborn ourselves. Help us, Lord, to trust, to believe, and to live out the righteousness of Christ by the power you provide. Through your son's name we pray, amen.